Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Love that. All right, all right. Welcome, welcome. How's everyone doing? Good. God's up to something good today. Uh, as you can see, there's some stuff already happening up here. We'll get to it uh, in just a little bit. Uh, but before we dive into the book of Colossians, as we continue in our series, Jesus Over Everything, uh, which if you want to just grab in your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we'll be. We're turning your Bible app to that. Uh, some exciting things happening this week. One, on Wednesday night, Trunk or Treat is happening here at the church. Uh, so it's Wednesday, 7 p.m. So here's the deal. If you got kids... If you got uh, grandkids, if you can uh, kidnap some kids. No, don't do that. Uh, but invite some kids to come on out. This is put on by our middle school and high schoolers. So they decorate their trunks. They go all out. And they will load up your kids in a really quick and efficient way with candies, which some parents are just all about that. Uh, so, But that happens uh, this Wednesday night, 7 p.m. You're going to definitely want to take advantage of that. Also, today marks the beginning of Project Share. I know, it's like really weird because it's like 77 degrees here in, in Wisconsin. I almost wore shorts just because I was like, yeah, we could do it. Um, but uh, you don't want to look at my legs, so trust me. And, but that, this is like where we capture a few giving opportunities that us as a church are going to hop into. And there's three that we uh, typically go to, and so I'm going to highlight them for you now. The first one we're going to launch today, it's Operation Christmas Child. And then we got Food for Families coming mid-November, and then beginning of December, Children's World Impact Food Packing Party event. So those are three things that we're going to be doing church-wide. But Operation Christmas Child begins today where you can grab your boxes and start thinking about what's going to go in them. If you're thinking, what's this all about? Let me roll this video to explain something. Three, two, one! And when those lids come off those boxes, you have never seen such pure joy. This is amazing, as you can see. The children's faces, they are excited as they open up the gifts for the first time. What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift. This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus. Children are coming to Jesus, and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just a child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. Are available today. So this is where you're packing a shoebox full of uh, little toys, uh, hygiene things. And so I've actually, I've got some friends who have been there like on site when some of these go uh, to kids and uh, their responses are amazing. In fact, uh, some of the things my friends have said is sometimes the most important gift that they might get out of a shoebox will be uh, the toothbrush or the bar of soap. Uh, things like that, that we take for granted. And you got to understand, these shoeboxes that you fill that maybe we'll throw $25 worth of things into it, this is probably the only gift that this child's going to get this Christmas. And so over the next few weeks, we collect all these boxes. We'll get them to the right distribution center. They'll go overseas, and they'll be in a child's hand this Christmas, and then the gospel's included in that. And so it's just a really sweet and simple opportunity for you to be able to make a very real impact in a child's life overseas. So make sure to grab your boxes before you leave here today. Cool? 
Very cool. All right, let me ask you a question as we get ready to hop into Jesus Over Everything, week four. Are there any uh, odd things that you continue to keep or hold on to? Maybe you pull them out every once in a while and kind of reminisce over them and look at them or whatever, but just some odd oddities, some weird things. And maybe you come to the place where you're like, why are we still holding on to this? I actually heard that exact question asked this week on, on the radio. They were asking people, what are weird things that you hold on to? One lady called in and she said, well, I keep... Um, of each of my kids, the, the umbilical cord fall off, you know, the fall off, you know, that's, that's really gross. And, and while a lot of us here are like, oh, that's weird. There's someone in this room and someone online who's like, what's so weird about that? I've got that. And you pull it out every once in a while and you look and you hold it and that's gross. Okay. That's what it is. No, but <laughs> But there are some weird things that sometimes we hold on to. In fact, because I was thinking about that question, I was also thinking about it in my own life. Lisa and I were, were kind of in this mode right now. We're getting ready to change over all the clothes from like summer to fall and winter. And, and so we're going into the attic. And I started looking around. I was like, why do we still have that? And so off in the corner, we've got two rocking horses that were made for our twins when our twins were born. So it's 21 years ago. They were handmade. And I asked my wife, I said, babe, these rocking horses have lived in the attic for 10 years. Is there a reason why we're going to continue to hold on to these things? And then, and, and then I was like, well, she's like, well, they were hand, you know, homemade, handmade. I was like, from whom? She's like, I don't remember. <laughs> and she goes, and quite frankly, they're actually a danger to children. <laughs> so I'm like, why are we holding on to them? And, uh, and so we were on the fence, but we're still keeping them. But they're still there, okay? Uh, but it was one of those deals where I'm like, I don't know. Do we hold on to these things? Uh, right next to the rocking horses were uh, three twin bed headboards. Now you got to understand, these headboards were used when we got them. <laughs> We've painted them since. And so now they're like even wor in like worse shape. And, they're, and they have actually moved multiple homes with us from attic to attic, <laughs> never making it onto a bed. And so I was like, why are we, I mean, there's, these are 20 years old, used when we got them. I was like, should we uh, hold on to these? And so we agreed. They're waiting in the garbage right now, unless you would like. Straight from me. Three useless headboards. No, but here's the one that takes the cake. I was thinking about some of the weird things I'm holding on to. I don't even know why. Or like, why do I still have this? And all of a sudden, I think the Lord brought it to my mind. Out in my garage, I've got a drawer. And in my drawer, it is filled with rocks. Not special rocks. Just rocks. Because this is what happens. If you've had kids, you know, sometimes kids walk around, they pick up a rock, like, this is a special rock. It's not, but they thought it was. And then they put it in your drawer. And you kept it because they said it was a special rock. And so now I've got a drawer of non-special special rocks. That every six months, while I'm looking for things in my garage, I pull out the drawer, I'm like, oh, that's just a you know, drawer of rocks. But, I, but here's the crazy thing. I've kept them for 10 years now. 10 years of a drawer of rocks. And you want to know what I just did the other day? I walked on over and I put all the rocks into a box. So now I have a box of rocks. <laughs> and now I'm, I finally decided I'm going to throw away the box of rocks. This week, the box of rocks 
are going away. Because why? They're just rocks. That's all they are. There's nothing special about these rocks. There's like no memory connected to them. They're literally off of the road, you know? And my kids probably thought they were great. And so, but here's the deal. As crazy it is that I've kept a, a drawer or a box of rocks for 10 years, there are things in our lives in yours and my life, I'm going to argue that we are actually holding on to that is as ridiculous as me holding on to a drawer of rocks for 10 years that, quite frankly, it's time for you to get rid of. As Elsa would say, let it go, let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. It's time to let it go. And so that's what we're going to be talking about is how if Jesus is really going to rule over all things, there are some things that you and I are holding on to that we need to let go of. And so we're going to pick this up in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 11, and this is what it says. In him, and he's talking about in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, immediately, for us, this might actually just seem like a really awkward verse. And you're like, we're going to really talk about this? Yes, we are. You know, because it's like he's talking all about circumcision. Now, for us, 2,000 years later, this seems just like a weird subject. Why is the Apostle Paul talking so much about circumcision? 2,000 years ago, it wasn't a weird conversation at all. Because it was the thing that marked the children of Israel as the children of Israel. Kind of, on behalf of the nation, the men were circumcised, and that was the thing that kind of set this nation apart from the rest of the world. Everyone else didn't perform that. And so for the Israelites, it was the thing that they're like, yeah, it's a, it's a literal, physical marking that marks us forever, and that says we're the children of God. And so when he says this is something that, that was done in them physically to mark them, He's using that as an illustration to say, hey, there was something spiritually that Christ has done to us, but it is as permanent as circumcision. The reason why he uses circumcision is because the idea of it is it can't be undone. Okay, I know some of you are like, can we please move past the subject sooner than later? No, but I want you to get this. It can't be undone, and that's the point. It's, it's like this idea of something that is finished and complete, and, it, and something was literally marked and removed from us. So then here's the question. What is it that has been removed spiritually from you and I? Well, here it is. It is your old self ruled by the flesh was put off. That's what was removed. When the, when the Apostle Paul uses the term your old self ruled by the flesh, he's talking about your sinful nature. Anytime he uses the, the term flesh, which the Apostle Paul does quite regularly, actually, he's always referring to basically anything that comes out of you that was not the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of your own flesh, your sinful nature, not in line with the Spirit of God. So he's talking about your, your, spiritual, uh, your spiritual nature. Now, he's talking to Christ followers, not just kind of the general public. This doesn't apply to everyone, but... For anyone who's put their faith in Christ, something in your nature was divinely changed. Let me say it again. If you're a Christ follower, there's something in your nature that has been divinely changed. Does that mean that you won't sin any longer? No. But let me ask you this question. The way that you answer this question will probably determine whether you still are holding on to something that you need to let go of. Here's the question. As a Christian... Are you more inclined towards sin 
or toward righteousness? And the answer is not Jesus, okay? <laughs> you got to put on your thinking cap now, okay? As a Christ follower, are you more inclined towards sin or towards righteousness? We could ask it this way. Do you have, as a Christ follower, a sinful nature or a righteous nature? Some of you are like, I don't want to get this wrong. Okay, let's go back to the verse that we just read. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, that's the sinful nature, was put off. So do you have a sinful nature or a righteous nature? I'm glad you guys got that. You have a righteous nature now. Your sinful nature was put off like circumcision can't be undone, can't be put back on because that would be really weird. Your sinful nature cannot be put back on you. It's actually been cut off of you and you have a new nature. Your inclination is no longer towards sin, but now toward holiness as a Christ follower because the Holy Spirit indwells you and the Holy Spirit has only one inclination and that's toward holiness. Right? So then, why do we sin? Well, it's easy. Because we are surrounded in a culture full of sin and full of darkness. And if we don't do what Pastor Jason talked about last week, which is learn to take our thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ, otherwise we will fall to human reasoning and the fine-sounding arguments. Remember, that's just a a few verses earlier. I know it's a whole week ago that Pastor Jason talked about it. But the fine-sounding arguments and the philosophies of this world, which will ease you into sin. Right? Another way of looking at it is this. The enemy will rarely try to get you to dive into the deep end of sin. Like, the, the, the devil doesn't come up to you and just whisper in your ear, murder that person. Right? Because most of us aren't going to fall to that. However, be jealous of what they have. Now, you might fall for that. Right? And jealousy can lead to anger, and anger leads to bitterness, and bitterness to rage, and rage to Toward, all the way toward murder. Like there's, that's that progression, but the enemy doesn't try to get you to jump into the deep end. He gets you to try to ease into it. In fact, we have language that sometimes we as Christians embrace and even flows from our mouth that, it, that basically say, or says to the enemy, hey, we're okay with easing into it. We have phrases like this. It's just a little white lie, right? What did we just say? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a lie, But on a scale of light and darkness, it's almost bright. (laughs) It's almost good. No, 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 no. It's sin. And see, God and the devil is not confused about what it is. It's sin, and it's only one version for them. Now, on a scale, I get it. We often look at sin on a scale. Because, quite frankly, is gossip and murder the same thing? From a perspective of how it practically hurts and damages relationships and people? No, it's not on the same thing. If I gossip about your spouse, that's different than murdering your spouse. We would all agree, right? However, from a sin perspective, it's all sin, right? This is why Jesus, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he used all these examples to say, if you, if you lust after someone in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. If you've hated them in your heart, you're guilty of murder. He's not saying the damage to the relationship is the same. Different damage to relationship, different level of hurt. However, from a perspective of sin, God and the devil are not confused. 
all sin. And the reason why the devil's not confused on it is because if he can get you to embrace just the little white lie, the the mild sin, and to call that okay, he's actually gotten you to completely reject your new nature. And that's profound. A little step into sin is a complete rejection of your new nature. It's embracing the old nature. As soon as the enemy can get you to grab hold of that, you're on a slippery slope toward deeper sin. You've probably heard the example of how do you cook a frog alive, right? You don't drop a frog in a pot of boiling water. He'll just jump right out. But if you put him in lukewarm water and you slowly raise the temp, he won't jump out and you can slowly boil the frog alive. The devil's doing the same thing to Christians all the time. He's getting you to stay in the, in the pot by you calling it a little white lie, by you calling it, by calling sin non-sin. And by doing so, it's a complete rejection to your new nature, and you're basically embracing living in the pot, saying, God, would you give me the discernment of when to hop out? As opposed to saying, I don't belong in the pot in the first place. It's not a part of my nature. Are, are you tracking with me? All right, now I know some of you might be thinking, I don't feel like I'm even close to having like a righteous nature. So this is your problem. Your problem is believing something and you're holding on to something that it's time to let it go, that it's not true of you. There's something powerful about winning the war in your mind about what is true. I'm not just talking about mind over matter. I'm talking about truth over matter truth over everything. This is how Jesus described it in John chapter 8. Jesus said this, then you'll know the truth and we can all probably finish this verse and the truth will what? Set you free. Jesus, four verses later, goes on to say, so if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now most of us are like, I want that. I want freedom. And he says truth and Christ can do that, but it's not figurative. It's not like this Hey, life will be slightly better. No, there's a freedom that you can find in truth and in Christ that isn't just like a figurative idea of freedom. It's not just a future idea of freedom, like someday I'll die and I'll be free like a bird and I'll live with him for eternity. No, it's a practical now I can have freedom because I have a new nature. Because the old is gone and the new has come. I'm a new creation. Does this make sense? It's literal freedom, and it's something you have to start believing right here between the earlobes of going, this is something of who I am. Picture it like this. Many years ago, I struggled to actually read my Bible and pray on a daily basis. I was a pastor already. I was uh, married. I had three kids, and I was being mentored by my senior pastor at the time. And he was asking me about my personal devotional time. I was like, well, I struggle in that. I, I read my Bible regularly, but I'm prepping messages all the time. And prepping message study, studying scripture versus like just sitting in scripture, it's different. And so I, I have to do the personal devotional stuff too. And so my, my pastor, he said, well, Josh, at some point you're just going to have to grow up. And when he said those words, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of angry. I was wounded. I was like... I'm wounded. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm an adult. I've got kids. I'm married. Like, I'm in my 20s. I'm like, don't tell me to grow up. Who are you? You know, it was like one of those moments. That's how I was feeling. And um, 
but it's probably exactly what I needed to hear. Because while I've always been a driven individual, I was driven and undisciplined. And driven and disciplined are not the same thing. And I had to start actually telling myself, I will become, I will be a disciplined individual. Like that's just who I'm going to be. And so I actually, on that day, it was like a switch of a, of a light switch, you know, where I made the decision. I said, I'm going to be disciplined. Not I'm going to be driven, hopefully disciplined. I'm going to be disciplined. So I added all these disciplines to my life. That was the day I started exercising. That's the day I started reading my Bible and praying. That's the day I started waking up earlier. It was all these, I added a handful of things to my life that would basically enforce that I am disciplined. That's just who I'm going to be. And in many ways, what, what many of us need to do is embrace truth that will set you free. And that is a mindset that I am hardwired toward righteousness. That's my new nature. That's my new creation. I am not hardwired to fall into sin and shame repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. It doesn't mean I'll never struggle with it or I'll never have that problem again. That's not it. It's a mindset, though, of, of who I'm hardwired to be. Here's what can happen. The more you walk in sin or you step into sin, you actually desensitize yourself to your new nature when you walk in sin and don't deal with it. Because the Holy Spirit is always good in telling you, it's, it's that response when you do something wrong and you get this like this guilt over you, like it's the whole, Holy Spirit going, stop it! And what happens is the more you step into sin over and over and over again, you actually desensitize yourself to the promptings of the Holy Spirit where he's getting your attention. You're going, nah, 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 nah. And you don't want to hear him. And eventually you will get a kind of a hard, crusty shell around your heart in which you don't respond to the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. It doesn't change the new nature that's still buried deep within you longing to come out. It's still in you and you need to go, that's what's in me. And it's longing to come out and the Holy Spirit wants to bring it out of me. And you got to start believing it, declaring it, taking your first steps toward it. And, you, and you're probably going to have to actually do some real practical life behavioral changes as well. You're going to have to delete that app. You're going to have to stop hanging out with those friends. You're going to have to stop listening to that music or that radio show. You're going to have to stop reading that garbage. You need to stop watching that TV show. There are things you got to cut out in your life and surround yourself with other people who are going to say, nope, you're hardwired toward righteousness and we're here alongside you. We're going to link arms with you and help you in that journey. Get it? All right. We covered one verse. Let's get to the second one. All right, well, I got four more, okay? We're going to make it through this, and I'll do the rest of these quickly. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him, being Christ, from the dead. Okay, so now he's going to use baptism, which, once again, these are new believers. Everyone who gave their life to Christ, they were baptized as an outward display of their faith that they had made in Christ. And this is what we still practice today. When we make our decision to follow Jesus, we have an outward display of our faith through baptism. And he's saying this baptism, when we experience it, it's to help us get a picture of what Christ accomplished. Just like when we go under the water, it's like being 
Jesus going in the grave, but he didn't stay in the grave. He came out of the grave. And just like we come out of the water, is this picture being raised with Christ out of the grave. So now here's, here's a simple question. Um, Christ was raised, to the, was raised from the dead. So is Jesus dead? No, he's actually, he's alive. He's at the right hand of the Father. Can he become dead? It's not a trick question. No, he can't. Uh, is there any aspect of Christ's life or position today that can become dead or defeated? No, none. He's not dead. He can't become dead. He can't become defeated. Now, Paul is saying that's true of you. Your spiritual nature is not dead. It's not inclined toward death. It's not inclined toward defeat. It's righteous and holy. Like that is what is actually alive in you. You might have become desensitized to it, but that's what's actually alive in you. So verse 11, he's saying you've got a new nature. Verse 12, he's saying it can't be undone. Just like Christ is out of the grave in going back, it can't be undone in you. Verse 13 and 14, when you were dead in your sins and in your, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taking it away, nailing it to the cross. So he's going to take everything they covered in verse 11 and 12, and he's going to say, I'm hanging this all on the work of the cross. And then he's going to address the number one thing that the enemy is actually going to continue to kind of point you back to and to remind you about, which is your sin. So question, which of your sins were forgiven? Yeah, it's, it's somewhere right in here. He forgave us all our sins. Not some of our sins, all of our sins. Kids have the tendency to embrace this reality of God's forgiveness in them. When you talk to a child about God forgiving your sins, they're like, okay, I get it, all my sins. And no, nowhere does a, does a kid go, except for that one when I was really bad and I cheated on my math test. Like, they just kind of embrace it all. But we as adults have a tendency, unfortunately, to once again look at sin on this sliding scale of how bad was it, and we embrace God's forgiveness on the vast majority of it, but then there's always or often, a few things that we go, but I don't think God would forgive me of this or that or this or that. Like it was just so bad. In fact, I've sat down with so many adults over the years where they're like, yeah, I've, I've, I've asked God for forgiveness so many times, but if I'm honest, there's no way he's gonna forgive me or let me off the hook for that thing I participated in or that thing that was done to me or that thing that I didn't stop. Or that thing I did. And we just hold, it's like, we don't embrace what Christ accomplished. He said, throw that verse back up there. Because it says that he canceled the charges of our legal indebtedness, meaning you were indebted to God, but he paid for it at the cross. He canceled all of it. So why are you punishing your, you for something that he's let you off the hook for? And then he goes on in verse uh, 15, because I think this is one of the things that we continue to, the reason why, why the enemy's good at, is uh, at helping us hold on to shame is because it's actually his. 
Check this out. Check out verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, being Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So who are powers and authorities? Up to this point, the Apostle Paul has mentioned this term, powers and authorities, four times already in the book of Colossians. Twice in chapter 1, twice in chapter 2 already. And every time he's referring to the devil and demonic forces. So he's talking about the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And so Jesus, he disarmed them. This Greek word here that gets translated as disarmed literally could be translated as disrobed, like to strip clothes off or to make one naked for the purpose of shaming them. This word that gets uh, translated, he made a public spectacle. That word for spectacle is the same Greek word that they use actually to describe what they would sometimes do to uh, prostitutes or an adulteress who would be caught that they would drag her out and shave her head to publicly shame her. Her. And so what he's saying is, is, you want to know what Jesus did? Jesus disrobed them and publicly shamed the enemy. And shame is dealt with the exact same way that you and I and that humans sometimes deal with shame. When we feel shame, we want to heap it on someone else so that we don't actually feel it for very long. And the devil does the same thing. He actually has been publicly shamed and his greatest trick is to get Christians to pick back up that which is his. Like, the enemy has been publicly shamed, but if he can get you to think that it's yours, it's the greatest trick he'll play on you. But it's not. And you got to remind the devil, that's not my shame, that's yours. And in, in fact, Christ completely disarmed all your power, and he made a public spectacle of you at the cross. So question, where... Have you been living maybe in sin or shame or feeling defeated? And today you need to believe that Jesus kind of rules over all of those areas and that his victory is your victory. Some of the ways that it can play out, let me just kind of just walk us through this. We've got these whiteboards at the front and they just say Jesus in a line. So it's Jesus over. And if I were to put on kind of like a sticky note, here's some of the things that even in my past are things that I thought I'm always going to struggle with. Like I'm always going to struggle with, and here was like actually one of my first ones, I mentioned it earlier, spiritual discipline. I'm always gonna struggle with my spiritual disciplines, reading my Bible and praying. And here's the, the reality, that if I'm a new creation, that's just not true. I'm not always gonna struggle with that. I can actually be victorious. I'm actually hardwired to be victorious in this area of my life. And maybe what you need to do today is say, no, that's, I maybe have embraced that, but it's not true. I, have a, I am a new creation. The truth is Jesus over that actually gives me victory and his victory is my victory over that thing that in the past I've struggled with. It's not a current struggle, it's gonna be a past struggle. Here was another one, spiritual responsibility. It's like, oh, it's, it's hard to be a spiritual leader. Maybe you're a, a husband or a father, and maybe you've struggled and thought, well, I don't, know if I, I don't think I'll ever be the spiritual leader of my home. Hogwash! I know, that's like a good old, old term, right? Hogwash! No! It's not true of you. You're actually hardwired, if you are a male, to be the spiritual leader of your home. That's actually hard, how you're hardwired to be. It's time for you to just say, that is who I am. I am going to be that. And Jesus will give me victory to be that. That's what I'm hardwired to do. Here might be another one. Might be your addiction. I've been here. This has been a part of my life. An addict. And I'm no longer. It wasn't just mind over matter. It was Christ bringing me victory over that. 
in my life, my, my beef with 12-step programs is that often they'll say, introduce yourself. I'm Josh and I'm an alcoholic. My problem is you're declaring an identity of bondage. And I, I just don't think you should ever do that. I think your identity is freedom. And so you can say, I'm, hi, I'm Josh. I'm a Christ follower. I've been set free from the bondage of alcoholism. And I'm on a journey to continuous victory over that which Christ has given me victory of. But it's, it's identity. You can't declare, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in the boiling pot. Like that's, it's to say I'm an alcoholic is to say I'm in the pot trying to discern when to hop out. And that's not me. All right. Um, could be attitude. Maybe you constantly struggle with fear or anger. And maybe you've thought, I'm always going to be a person of fear. I'm always going to be a person of anger. No, you're not. That's not what Christ has hardwired you for. The, the old self ruled by the flesh was put off. Like circumcision, you can't put it back on. I know it's really weird and gross. Okay, let's move on. Maybe it's sin and shame. Maybe there's that one sin, that one shame that you're like, I thought I'd forgiven myself, but the enemy continually reminds me, like this is who you are and it's not who I am. And I choose to let myself off the hook of what Christ left me, let me off the hook. All of my sin and my debt was covered at the cross and even over that thing that I've held against myself. Uh, here's the last one. And I think probably all, almost all of us could write this on a card. It's apathy towards sin. Because almost all of us have gotten used to some area of your life that you've let slide, that quite frankly in your life you should not let slide anymore. You're apathetic to how sin has crept in and you're okay. Oh, it's not a big deal that I look at that just for a half second. It's not a big deal I listen to that just a little bit. It's not a big deal. Like, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna be apathetic to sin. I'm gonna see sin as Christ sees it, which is sin. And I don't want it to be a part of my life. And, so, and those are just some examples. We're actually going to end by making this practical for all of us here. We actually have, um, the worship team's going to come on out. They're going to lead um, us in, they're going to sing a couple songs. But while they're singing, I want to encourage every one of us here to just ask this question. What sin, shame, or aspect of your old self do you need to let go of? It's time to let it go. And embrace Jesus' victory. Maybe you want to steal one of my words. You don't have to get specific on maybe what your sin or your shame is or, or maybe your old habit or your old self. You don't have to be specific. But maybe there's something that you're like, up till now I've just kind of thought I'm always going to be this or I'm always going to deal with this. That today I need to say no. My attitude and my the truth is going to set me free, and I'm going to think rightly about this, and that is that Christ has made me victorious over this. Christ can rule over this, and I'm going to align with him as victorious over it. And so I, I would invite you during these next couple songs, just come on up here, uh, write whatever you want to write that you're saying, all right, today, I'm trusting the Lord with it, and uh, then just put it on one of the whiteboards uh, anytime during these, these worship songs. So let me pray. Um, and then, uh, and then the worship team will lead us. Jesus, you did such a profound work at the cross. You put off the old self. And there's so many of us that maybe like the, the, the box of rocks, we've just been holding on to some things in our lives or we've been embracing things like this is just always who I'm going to be or I'm always going to struggle with. Um, quite frankly, it's just not true of me. Or maybe I've been apathetic to sin and I've, I've just called it okay and it's 
time that I call that out and say it's not okay. I want to align with Christ. I want Christ to rule over everything. Christ Jesus over everything. So Lord, bring about freedom today in the room, online, in VR. And perhaps some areas, that some things we've been holding on, holding on to that we need to let go of today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.